0: A number one best-selling author, whose whole life has been about supporting people to achieve personal empowerment, helping people just like you recognise that they can. Hello there,
1: it's Gina Gardner here and I'm your host on Passionate World Radio today. I'm really pleased to be joined as usual by uh, Rachel Davidson. Both of us are international best-selling authors. Today we're going to be talking about the theme of micromanaging. It's one of those things that so often happens within a family or within an organisation, where the person who is in charge, thinks they're in charge, (laughs) um, starts to interfere in every little action, wants to know every detail, and gets in the way, in my opinion, when it becomes the level of micromanaging, gets in the way of people's development. And progress being made. Yes. Now, before we start, I think we need to make a distinction between mm-hmm. micromanaging mm-hmm. and managing. Yes. Because depending on the experience of the people involved, if you're talking about a team or a business, mm-hmm. or depending on the age of the children who are involved, um, or the, the uh, expertise of the children or the partner mm-hmm. or the team member, mm-hmm. there are times when it's very appropriate to be very and set little steps with expectations. I think for me it becomes micromanaging when you have people who have the capacity Mm. to learn how to get on and do things and take responsibility Mm. and who are not given the opportunity. Mm. Now, ultimately, the person who um, is responsible is going to feel, well, I need to do everything that I can to make sure that this job gets done and gets done well and i think it's important that i state right from the outset i'm talking about allowing people to and helping them facilitating them to do a great job yeah. but at the same time there's a danger if you do the thinking for them yes they never learn to think for themselves yes and even people who have the capacity and the enthusiasm to do it if they are micromanaged then what happens is they think no point, and they give up.
2: There's um, there's a, a, a an idea about uh, learned helplessness within absolutely teams whereby, whereby it's often because the manager is a micro manager, but yeah. that, um, that individuals learn to be helpless, learn to not bother, learn to there's no point aspect to it because I'll only get it yeah. or there'll be some detail that I haven't quite seen but they will learn from. let oh, It's just got
1: and often what goes alongside of that, not exclusively, is that if I fail, I'm going to get it in the neck, I'm going to trouble you, Yeah. and so, well, I'll stay safe, yeah. because in that way, um, if I don't put my head above the parapet, yeah, then I can't get shot down.
2: Yeah, and there's also the slight aspect of a team member who's being micromanaged, of, well, this person actually loves the details, so maybe, I, you know, I'll never get told off for asking the yeah. details, yes yeah. so but whenever I have come across the phrase micromanage, um, either because I am feeling compelled to do it or because I am being subjected to it, it's always, um, in my head, a pejorative phrase. It's Absolutely. always negative. If I am uh, going through a detailed induction yeah. that's necessary because, as you but said, my skill level is But that's not micromanaging, is it? Yeah, exactly. So so I guess the topic for today is micromanagement when you feel that it's like annoying in some way it, it's yeah. that aspect of management that we're talking about today isn't it and the,
1: there's always a tension between the person who's being managed view of their ability yeah. and so on yeah. and the person who's managing and it does require you taking some calculated risks as a manager yes. or as a leader yeah. when you have to delegate to somebody else the responsibility and for me I think one of the reasons why my own organization is so successful Mm -hmm. and why the companies that I work with who have developed the skill of managing and delegating effectively Mm -hmm. find that it actually makes a huge positive difference to the quality of the outcome but also to the quality of life for everybody involved, yes, is that everybody is expected to take responsibility
2: yes. for their own
1: performance in a way that never happens when people make
2: Yeah, and, and it's one of the few phrases that I can remember from my business studies college course which was uh, delegation involves trust and control, So, uh, and that's for both parties. So, you know, the control aspect is about regular, Step ins, checks that understanding has been received. That's the
1: difference between delegation and and dereliction, (laughs) isn't it? Chucking it over the (laughs) fence,
2: yeah. And
1: there are managers, just, you know, there are managers who just hand the whole lot over to people and say, get on with it. But when things go right, they take the credit. And when things go wrong, they blame everybody else. And I think delegation for me is, is a mixture of an art and a science. Oh, yeah there are certain rules about delegation um, that make it possible for it to be effective mm. and one of those is that you set out the parameters right from the outset mm. be very clear about the expectation yeah. and then you have checks and balances you know, we're going to monitor this and this is how we're going to do it and this is when we're going to do it yeah. and here are the milestones and if there's any problem come back to me yeah. uh, but if not then crack on and for me, it's the difference uh, between, you know, if you listen to Stephen Covey, The Eighth Habit, mm-hmm. he's the probably most famous um, professional um, coach that there's ever been, who yep. um, wrote The Seven um, Habits of Highly Effective People, which is still a bestseller, yeah. several decades after it was written. Mm-hmm. But when he wrote The Eighth Habit, he started talking about the servant leader. Yep. That, for me, really resonated. You need a range of skills and styles as a leader. There are times when you need to be autocratic, don't you? Uh There's an emergency, get out of here now, or do this now. Or when people are very new or very inexperienced, this is how I want it done. But what he talks about in the the Eight habit, the servant leader, is that you will facilitate the growth of your your people Uh so that they uh, become very effective and for me if you want people to be very effective and to grow and develop Mm. you have to give them the opportunity Mm. to think to do things and to come up with their own way of solving things yes there isn't only one way to solve a problem and often managers micromanage because somebody is suggesting something which is different to that way that they had anticipated. Mm. Now, delegation is probably a subject that we could use a whole programme on because yeah. it's, as I say, it's, it's a bit of a science in the sense that there are a very clear, I think, rules to effect a delegation. Mm-hmm. But it's a bit of an art in terms of when are people ready mm. and how much support are they going to need and, and you know, how is this going to work in the grand scheme of the project or the, the product and whatever you're trying to do? Yeah. But I'd like to explore why is it people might manage, And this mm. is true of personal relationships mm. as well as um, professional relationships. Mm. You know, the, the parent who wants to know every detail of a teenager's day and what they're yeah. doing and who they're talking to and yeah. um, where they are. Yeah. That's appropriate when they are young, yeah. but as they get older there are many parents who still want to do that yeah. and as a result their children rail against it and mm. there's tensions and they think their children have gone off the rails, but actually part of that is that they're just smothered and so they're fighting against mm. it, whereas if they've been given some space to develop, Yes, they're probably still going to be teenagers and
2: be a yes. pain, yeah.
1: but nothing like yeah. right, to <laughs> the same extent. <laughs>
2: I've got a good example of somebody recently who was subjected to uh, micromanagement at a certain insane level. Um, And and so, you know, just to describe what it could look like. So so lots of um, of massive projects that this particular person is responsible for. Um, uh, And he has a boss, and his boss um, is actually based in America, so that's a complication because you can't sit next to time
1: scales and distance. It yeah. does
2: make a difference. But um, So lots of video conferencing, lots of table yeah. lots of technology involved in, in having a communication. But it boiled down to the fact that um, in, in getting to grips with this project and trying to find out what the scope was and trying to construct the control around yeah. the project, the governance mm-hmm. and so on and so forth, um, my friend is um, extremely capable. Um, and he's pushing against certain sort of Four points in the organisation yeah. in doing this investigation because he's uncovering the fact that certain people haven't really thought too long and hard about okay. the, the yeah. business case and you know this stuff. Yeah. But his manager is not not helping him, you know, find a route through the organisation to, to find the business case to get the objectives. His manager is saying, "Well, have you done the project charter?" And my friend will say, "Yes, I've done. It's a document. Yes, I've done the project charter." Well, and his manager said, Well where is it? And my friend said, of say, Well, it's in and then the system where they file all this stuff in. But if the manager doesn't see it on his desktop at the point at which they're having a conversation, his manager doesn't believe it's there. And micro are getting around with constructed this and starts to so when we're talking about micromanagement, this particular example that I was hearing from my friend was so insanely micro <laughs> that the pair of us were like what, what is wrong with this person? What what could be going on in his life? that he's missing, I mean, you know, he's a senior person in this organization. He's missing the big picture stuff that really could help it. And he's actually down at the level where he's telling you to do control or delete on a Word document. <laughs> it's interesting because, I like mean,
1: I, as you know, do a lot of business coaching. Oh. And so often, one of the things that comes out of that, that is looking at roles and responsibilities mm-hmm. and where does one role and responsibility begin and end. Mm-hmm. And ultimately if you're the leader or the manager of a of a team within the whole organisation, mm-hmm. you are responsible for everything that your team or your organisation do or don't do. Mm-hmm. But the difficulty if you're so mired in the detail, you haven't got the time or the energy or the or the vision. No to be able to be doing your job properly. Yeah. And I would ask the question of that guy, when you're micromanaging somebody that you've employed, who you obviously believe at some level can do the job, because otherwise why employ them? Yes. And we're talking about high-level staff. What is it in that person Mm. that requires them to deal with stuff? Yeah. And I think the very basis of that is fear. And control, and if you think about you know the model of motivation, and people are interested, you can find that on the website genuinelyhyphenu dot com. One of the biggest problems, well, the the, the bottom line, it's the old Maslow's Mm
2: -hmm. theory of hierarchy hierarchy of
1: need, is survival. And when people are fearful, often at the heart of that, more often than anything, Mm -hmm. is the fear of. I don't think that I'm safe, I don't think I'm going to survive.
2: But there's the insanity of that particular example. Oh, it's completely because insane. Because by, by not doing the job that actually he could provide value in... He's putting it? himself at greater risk. Yeah, by being down in the detail and yeah. filling with stuff that is so so beyond his remit. And actually, you know, the, the lowest of the administrators in the company yep. gets micromanaged by them. Yep. Just the insanity of, of the... Distraction almost that he's oh, creating. But That's
1: the interesting but the word. The
2: safety he feels in that. It's yeah. all an illusion.
1: It and is. And you're talking, well, there's two things here. There's the illusion that one is safe, mm. and then there is the distraction from the fact that I am feeling fearful. Yes. And I believe that many organisations, particularly since the recession, mm. have gone into a place where people are fearful for their jobs. Yeah. They're fearful that their organisations are not going to support them in a job for life, which at one time was pretty certain if you did a reasonable job, you could be guaranteed a job that would go... Those days have long gone, and I think everybody in the world of work is now at some level concerned about, is this job secure? Mm. Now, the higher you go up in an organisation the further you have to fall. <laughs> because your job is not only about the wage that you earn, but it's about the status that you have.
2: Mm-hmm. It's about
1: your identity for many people. Yeah, yeah. And I think that what we, what happens when people are fearful is that they contract their world to the place where they feel that they can c- control it. Yes. And in a way, the paradox is that the bigger the, the challenge that people are facing, the smaller the detail that they get involved in, because that's something that I can tick that off. I've had control of that. I can do that. Let me give you another example. I work with an organisation that um, was run um, by an amazing lady. Um, And when she was there and and this was her lifelong um, passion, everybody did exactly what they were told. Partly because she was so well thought of, a legend uh, in her own industry. Partly because she knew what she was talking about.
2: But
1: the outcome of that, when I started working with them, and this lady had now got too old to continue running the business, was that nobody had been brought up to think for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so it's been quite an interesting transition for not only the managers, Mm -hmm. particularly for the managers, but for every permanent member of Mm staff that is expected Mm -hmm. to have um, responsibility for what they do, Mm -hmm. but without consistently being told, do that in this way, do it now. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating watching how people, some people have taken to it like a duck to water, Other people are really resistant yeah. to the situation. And it, i was talking to one of the um uh, there's some there's student at the student the who's very frustrated because yeah. the answer that they're getting is because so and so said that we do it well. So yeah. they know the how yeah. really, really well. Yeah. But when the why is asked it's because well, this is what we always do.
2: Yeah, that's not a why answer, But if you've mm-hmm. been brought up,
1: that mm-hmm. your why is, because I've been don't told to, don't Just question do, <laughs> do. Um, then what happens is people's learning becomes very limited or fragmented. Yeah. And the danger with that is that, well, it's comfortable in many ways, because you don't have to think, mm-hmm. but people don't worry. Yeah. And in their lack of growth, they then hold other people back. Yes. Because if other people want to go outside the box, yes. they become a threat. Yes, they become a threat because if they go outside the box, how will I manage this? yeah because I don't know the how.
2: Yeah,
1: or rather, I do know the how, but I'm not clear about the why.
2: No, and the minute that you're out in the real world, you get yes. stress tested, and you know it doesn't quite happen the way it normally does. Yes, then you're stuck because. Because you can't fill in, you can't, you don't understand the context of why that now made sense because the bigger bigger objective is this. So when stuff for me suddenly changes, you, you're, you're totally stuck. You can't, you haven't got the capability, the knowledge, to, <laughs> you may have skills, but you haven't got the knowledge yeah. to be able to say, oh, well, I understand that actually I do that because of this. So if that's changed, I can just modify my behaviour yeah. and I'll still meet the objective. You, you're just stuck with your stuck going, well, I don't know, I need to ask for
1: for me, this is a real metaphor for life yeah. and for the fact that we I believe, are believer on a spiritual journey, mm. And that for many people, if I can't see it, and I can't understand it in this moment, mm. doesn't it doesn't mm. exist. And yeah. yet, over time, you know, if you look from man's um, creation to now, yeah. it's been in the adapting to changing views, beliefs and situations, that yes. so our growth as human beings, our capacity to learn, our capacity to think outside the box, be creative, yes. has developed. Yes. If you always do the same thing, you'll always get the same result, won't you? Yes. And I think <laughs> micromanaging keeps everybody playing small.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I think there's another problem, mm-hmm. that in keeping people small, that's all right for people who are happy to stay smooth. Sure. And there are plenty of people who don't want to be challenged, who want to do what they do and then go home and live their lives, yeah. if we're talking about work. Mm-hmm. But there are lots of people for whom their very life's has to be around being given the opportunity to grow and develop. Yes. That they are thinking people. And when they are micromanaged, every time they're micromanaged, a little bit of indulgence—that's
2: very much the friend I was talking about. How soul destroying he finds. And the whole isn't situation. it that
1: interesting? The words that we use. Yes. Soul destroying. Yeah, and I think that's really true. He,
2: he comes home and he says, "My soul has been damaged today." Yeah. Um, by by whatever this child has yeah. done. And when you look at the sort of just look at the the narrative yeah. of what's happened, you know, nobody died. Nobody yeah. got attacked. Not not even very nasty words. No. Really, some sort of share between them. But just, just the mere act of being oppressed, which is what yes. my friend feels. You
1: feel? You're being kept small, yes. and we're not designed to be kept small. And this is
2: insulted. It's yes. like, why do I need to explain? Do, does he not think that, and all of these stories, yeah. Yes. Yes. he not think I'm capable of this? Why does he not think I'm capable of this? What have I done to give him that, and all of these stories yes. start backing up, backing yes. up. And ultimately, I, I mean, I've been saying to my friend, well, It sounds like this person is in quite a lot of pity, actually. (laughs) Going back to the point that he's he's coming from a real point of fear, isn't he? And so
1: many businesses are based on a culture of fear. Mm. And I think the fear of failure is um, huge. And I Mm. think for many people, they see failure as the most terrible thing. And for me, it's not that you go out deliberately to fail. But having a culture where, you know, development has to be absolutely paramount. Now there are some exceptions to that. You don't let a pilot we use this example before, you don't let a pilot pilot a plane until you're pretty certain sure. that they know how to do it. Yeah. But interestingly a lot of their training is what do you do if something goes wrong? Mm and your capacity to think on your feet and to apply all of that knowledge yes. to a situation
2: that you can never know the parameters of yes. until it happens. Because there's another paradox, you see, that no matter how automated a yes. machine such as an aeroplane can be, and boy they're very clever nowadays, in an emergency situation it actually comes back down to the human being that's been placed yes. in charge of all of those other human beings that are sat at the back. And they, the paradox is that you you have to be a very well trained, structured, disciplined person, yes. but in the moment of, of mm. ultimate stress, you have to have the capability of thinking for yourself Absolutely. and acting
1: effectively. And I would say to anybody who's listening to this, or who has um, friends or partners who um, actually are managing people at work, or if you're thinking about this in the family situation, this mm. is just as true in the family situation, mm. But if you don't allow there to be the the possibility of growth and development, Mm. even though that may mean that people will get things wrong Mm. in the first um, little while, Mm. if you don't allow that, Mm. then you keep people contained and small. And you may think that that's safe, but actually the very opposite is true, because it kills the spirit, it kills creativity, Mm. it kills the capacity independent
2: I remember reading Richard Branson's autobiography. Yeah. I didn't get very far into the book, I have to admit, but the bit that I did read was apparently when he was five years old, yeah. and I can't remember where he is in the scale of his yeah. brothers and sisters, but I know he's not the first. Um, when he was five years old, his mother drove him about five miles away from the family home, right. let him out of the car, and he said, find your way back, Richard. Right. <laughs> now, that's oh. probably... A
1: it's, well, not Quite that extreme. <laughs> However, if I think back to school, we had children who had never brought themselves to school yep. until the age of 11, and then they were expected to go across town on their own by bus. Yep. And interestingly, the statistics for um, road accidents involving children, mm. you will see there's a huge spike at the age when they change schools and they're suddenly expected to be independent and they haven't developed the schools. And so one of the things I would suggest to parents is, you know, leave them at the corner where you can still see them, but Mm. they can go into the gate so that initially they have the opportunity Mm. to feel independent. Then leave them across the road, watch them crossing across Mm. the crossing, um, and then meet them a couple of streets away. And give them the opportunity. when I was young, and I accept that I'm getting on now, we could go out with a jam sandwich and a bottle of pop and be out all day. Yep. Children aren't given that opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know? We almost are, are, I think, limiting their capacity to learn to problem solve because they are always, for all the right reasons, mm-hmm. but they are always constrained by being with an adult. Mm-hmm. And we were having a conversation about daughter yes. who's out today canoeing um, yes, And, you know, how do you make sure that they're safe? You give them all of the instructions, <laughs> you give them all of the of the training, but there is a point
2: where you have to let them go. Because I, as much as my, um, you know, my desire to mother, I yeah. think I say, for my parenting and my control freak nature that I have anyway. Yes. Uh, beyond being able to say to her, have you thought about this? Make sure you do these, these yeah. aspects. Don't forget, this behaviour is yeah. very important. And safe in this place. But she all interprets as in, oh, stop moving, But I need to say to her, yeah. because that's part of the delegation, yeah. I'm handing over your responsibility Law of, responsibility. of yeah. yourself to yourself today. Yeah. the day, and you know, I'm going to go kayaking with just a friend. Um, beyond that, so I'm totally out of control yeah. now. Yeah. And I was totally reliant upon just a pure text to say, are you okay? And that's all I could. She didn't actually respond to me during the moment. No. But that's all I could do to to micromanage her beyond that point. And it's a real lesson in uh, trusting that she did actually listen to some of the control aspects that I tried to imbue (laughs) her with.
1: (laughs) So we're getting to the end of today. And what I would say to you is, if you are being micromanaged, then one of the things that you can do is to start to treat your boss differently. Mm. And it's perfectly possible to manage up, just in the way it is to manage them. And one of the ways to do that, I think, is by asking for questions. And maybe we could make that, yeah. um, you know, uh, the theme for a, a, another show. Um, if you're in a family situation, I would say, age appropriately, give your chance for your children to actually grow and thrive. And often it's the partner who gets micromanaged, not just yes. the children. Yes. Um, and if you're a manager or a leader, I really urge you to learn the art of being a servant leader and delegating effectively. Love to know what you think. Please let us know by going onto the website genuinely You can also find a free copy of my latest uh, number one bestseller, um, Thriving Not Surviving: The Five Secret Pathways to Happiness, Success, and Fulfillment. You can get a free digital download. All my other books and Rachel's are also available um, on Amazon. Thanks so much for joining us and look forward to speaking to you next time. This is Gina Gardner, host of Passionate World Radio, saying cheerio and have a great day.
0: Bye now. You've just been listening to another great Genuinely You podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Genuinely You is a culmination of Gina's work spanning over 30 years of helping people learn what makes them feel happy and truly fulfilled and how to achieve it. Please visit genuinely-u.com today to find out more.